the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, like Brother Bill said, we've been fasting and praying for 21 days. It's probably why a lot of people are feeling more spiritually connected than normal because we're putting that flesh out of the way. And uh, does anybody have like a short, tiny 37-second testimony that they'd like to give of, of something that's been going on in your life since you've been fasting during this? A little testimony of what's going on or anybody in here? Okay, well, God hadn't done anything yet. But he... <laughs> okay, she's got to share. And I Give somebody else this opportunity because it's a good opportunity, y'all. I'm excited. I don't know if anybody else has done a corporate fast like this, but I think this is my first time. I fasted before over things, but y'all, I'm changed. I don't know what it is. I can't tell you. I can't put words to it, but I am changed forever. God is doing something in my heart, in my marriage, in our church, in, in bigger ways than I could ever imagine. Just the things that he is downloading to me. He's honoring. I'm not doing a, just a water fast. You know, if you're there, I applaud you. I've done it before too. I'm not there right now. But I believe one day I will be. But you know what? He is doing something. He's going to honor whatever it is you say. If you haven't started this fast yet, it's not too late. It's not too late. This is the 10th and we're going to the 21st and you can go beyond that. You know, whatever God leads you to, do it. Just just let him honor it because he will show you things. He will bless you in ways that you can't imagine. Amen. Thank you. Maybe some of you started the fast, but, you know, your flesh got the best of you and you failed and you felt like you want to quit. Pick it back up. A good man may fall, but he gets back up. That's what we do. There's no no condemnation. Just get back in the race. Try again. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to teach this flesh that there, it's not in control, that God is in control of our lives. So, hey, you know, the flesh acts out, but we don't let it take control. Uh, in John chapter 5, verse 40, The Lord, He is going back and forth with these religious, these religious types, these Pharisees and these teachers of religious law. And, and they're arguing with Him. And in verse 40, He says, And ye will not come to Me that you might have life. Another place it says, He who ha has the Son has life. And Jesus is saying, I am life itself standing right in front of you and you are arguing with me. You will not come to me that you might have life. Anybody ever see that movie? It's on reruns all the time on TV. You can't help but see it. Uh, Sweet Home Alabama. 
a little romantic comedy. There's a, a man and a woman, and all through the movie, everybody knows these two are supposed to get together. I mean, it's, it's obvious. They're, they're going to end up in the end, you know, the, it's the plot, you know where it's going. They're the only two in the movie that, that are fighting it. And in the very end scene, or one of the end scenes, they're on the beach, and they're about to have it out. You know, it's thunderstorm and everything. It's at nighttime. It's raining. And she runs out there, and they're going back and forth. And one of the things she says is, why didn't you tell me you came to New York? And he got a serious look on his face. He said, I had to make something of myself. She said, about done. And when I was praying about what I should preach this Sunday, that phrase just kept coming to me. About done. Look at your neighbor. Say, about done. There was a guy about done. Also, I think it was in, was it in John? Yeah. John chapter 5, that's right. Still in John chapter 5. There was a guy laid at the pool of Bethesda. He was lame. And, and I don't know, it was a bunch of lame people, blind people, halt people, uh, and they always put them by this pool. I don't know, there was this colonnade or something that they stood up under, and I, I guess they begged for alms to get food for the day. And this guy was just dying slowly, one day at a time. And in reality, we're all just dying slowly, one day at a time. But this guy, all he had was his mat. And he's laid there, and this is before home health care and all that. He's laying there, and I'm sure he's got bed sores. The clothes he's wearing, he's probably been wearing for months, maybe years. They're probably threadbare. And he's just probably all gnarled up, you know, from sleeping on that hard mat. And, and he's just dying. One day at a time. And Jesus comes by and he recognizes this guy has been here for 38 years in this same condition. Nothing has changed. And Jesus comes by and he says, do you want to be healed? Now that's a strange question to ask. <laughs> I mean, that's an obvious answer, right? I mean, this guy's been here 38 years. Of course he wants to be healed. Nobody, nobody would want to live like this, would they? But nevertheless, Jesus asked the same thing he's asking you today. Do you want to be healed? I hear some music going on or something. Can you cut the... Richard, there's some music or something going on in the system. Do you want to be healed? Now you say, well, Pastor, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm, I'm in good health today. <laughs> I'm not even sick. But it, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something from your past that you're still holding on to. Maybe there's scars in your heart. Maybe you was hurt as a kid. Maybe I, there's things that are limiting you that's causing you to sit on your mat and stay in that place where you never seem to be getting out of this rut that your life has become and you're slowly dying one day at a time. He would ask all of, that, of, of us that. And the man says, interestingly enough, I always put myself in 
hard word positions. <laughs> I don't know why I just don't say it's normal. Okay, so the man says, well, I can't get to the water. When the water stirs, the angels stir the water, and, and I can't get there. Well, there's no evidence that there was no angel stirring the water. That was probably just religious folklore of the time. But he's, he says, I can't do it. And he said, I have no man to bring me to the water. So he's blaming somebody else for, to, that won't help him. But did Jesus say, can you heal yourself? Did Jesus say, do you have anybody that can heal you? Jesus says, do you want to be healed? We use the same excuses today. I don't know. This is just the way it is. Uh, you know, I didn't have no education. You know, this is the way my daddy treated me, and that's why I'm treating my wife. You know, this is, the, this is just the way it is. This is how I was raised. Ain't got nobody to help me. The government this, the government that. Jesus didn't ask you that. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? <laughs> He's really asking, are you ready to trust me? To break it down, he's saying, you about done? You about done? Look at your neighbor and say, you about done? <laughs> so today's message, I'm calling it, you about done? <laughs> Imagine that. For most of us, it's you about done making a mess out of your life. You see, I was laid up at the pool of Bethesda for 32 years of my life. I know what it's like. Maybe I wasn't literally laid up at the pool of Bethesda, but I wasted my youth. Not letting the Lord work in my life. And when Jesus finally got to me, he said, son, you about done? I said, yep. Because I, I know I had come to the end of myself. And life didn't make sense in the condition that I was in. And it really wasn't worth living anymore. If this is all there is, I was thinking to myself, if this is all there is, I don't understand life. And yet Jesus says, you will not come to me that you might have life. I didn't know I could. And when I found out that Jesus had died on the cross to pay for my sins and that I could be forgiven and that I could get a fresh start and I could take up my mat and walk on out of this, this life that, that the world had created for me and I could walk into the eternal life that God had prepared for me, I was ready to go. Yep, I'm about done. <laughs> Why do we let our limited abilities hinder our limitless possibilities. Why do we let our limited abilities hinder our limitless possibilities? All we got to do is surrender to the power of the Lord God in our life. And then all things become possible to him that believe. And all he's asking is surrender. 
Like some of you did during the worship this morning, you just lifted your hands as a sign of surrender. I'm yours, God. Why don't we do that more often? We ought to be like Moses. We ought to have our friends helping us keep our hands up. And that's what a church is for. So that we can help each other keep our hands up, lifted and surrendered to God so we don't lose sight of what God is doing. See, most people set out in this world to build their own kingdom. They set out for fame, fortune, and they mostly find shame and foolishness. Turn to Jeremiah 10, 23. If you would, put it in the New King James Version up here for us. Jeremiah 10, 23. Am I losing anybody or is this making sense so far? You know our series is what? Never alone. God just won't leave us alone. And that's a good thing. Jeremiah 10.23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. It's basically saying, Man don't know what he's doing. It's not in him. He don't know how to direct his life. You will make a mess. And he's talking about mankind in general. There's none of us that are righteous. No, not one. I looked it up in the message paraphrase. The same scripture says, I know God that mere mortals can't run their own lives, that men and women don't have what it takes to take charge of life. We just don't have it in us. It's not in us to make anything of ourselves. And if we did, what good would it do to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? It's not in us, and it's not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus said, and you will not come to me that you might have life. I'm pleading with you. I'm even arguing with this, the Pharisees trying to get you to see that all you got to do is come to me and have life. Do you want to be healed? But the hard-headedness and the pride of mankind, we, in some far-off universe, we think that we have to get ourselves right before we come to God. You about done with that? Because in Isaiah 64, verse 6, Isaiah says, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads to you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned us away and turned us over to our sins. Because we will not turn to him and live, then we have to experience what death is like. And many of us are living these tragic lives so that it, it will eventually drive us to say, yep, I'm about done. I'm about done with all that. Some of us so hard-headed we're still holding on that we can do this, that we can earn our way to heaven, that we can be a good person. And even Christians, I'm not just talking to lost folks here. 
We get saved and we want to earn God's grace. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Did you start out in the spirit, now you're going to walk it out in the flesh? We as Christians get to thinking that we've got to perform. No, we've got to surrender. This is how I fight my battles. Thank you for playing that song, Brother Richard. I didn't know you was going to play that song, and I didn't know Brother Bill was going to steal my scripture in Psalm 23, neither. <laughs> but that's what happens when you're all walking in the same spirit. God knows what he's doing. Confirmation. How long will we wait beside the pool in our filthy rags? <laughs> Truth is, most of us won't turn to Jesus till we have to. I don't know how that is. Stubborn. There's a guy named Jairus. I don't know if I pronounce that right. I pronounce it different every time I say it. <laughs> But Jairus was a leader of a synagogue that Jesus happened to be preaching in. Jesus was, you know, probably go there for a couple weeks and teach in the synagogues. That if he was anything like the other religious leaders in Jerusalem and Galilee and all the areas that Jesus was preaching, he's probably rolling his eyes at Jesus' teaching over there fuming. How can we plan it? How we can get him? How we can discredit him? You know, they, they didn't really take to Jesus. Because they wanted religion to be about them. But it says that Jesus, if you read over a course of some scriptures, he left, went across the lake, and that's when he delivered the guy that had the legion of demons on the inside of him, got him set free. See, that's the kind of God we serve. He'll go all the way across the lake to set you free and then come right back. For one person, he'll leave the 99 and go find the one. And he left and found the one, and then he came back. And guess who was meeting him at the landing? Jairus. This guy that probably had been standoffish from Jesus. I'm just supposing. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But I, I pictured that he had been standoffish for Jesus, probably rolling his eyes and stuff, that Jesus is preaching. But while Jesus was gone... Jairus' daughter came down with some sickness that was leading to death. We don't know what it was. He didn't know what it was. But it had come to that, that he had to reach out to Jesus. And he went and met Jesus at the boat, and he said, Sir, can you come and heal my daughter? She's at the point of death. You can imagine how a man would feel about his daughter. Desperation had set in. And that's what it takes for most of us. Desperation. And Jesus says, sure, let's go. She's not dead, only sleeping when I'm around. <laughs> Proverbs 8, 17 says that those who seek me early shall find me. Why do we wait till things have gotten so bad? Can't we learn from other people's mistakes on some things in life? Can't we 
believe that the Bible is true and go ahead and start living by it now, and that Jesus is Lord and start giving him lordship now? Can't we do those things now? Can't we seek him early instead of having all this tragedy happen because the wages of sin will always be death? And God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that will he also reap. And it's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to anybody. When you're living a life of sin, you're going to reap the wages. Why can't we come early? 2 Corinthians 6 2 says, Indeed, the right time is now. It's now. Somebody's saying, Well, this guy's good. You know, this message is getting me stirred up. When I leave here, I'm going to go home and get right with God. No, the right time is now. Not give the devil opportunity to come and snatch that seed away. Maybe we need to have an altar call right now. We don't have to have it at the end. Who says we got to have it at the end? The right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. You know, Peter was in a perfectly good boat. He saw Jesus on the bank. He jumped out. He didn't wait to row back to the shore. For him, the right time was now. When? When I see Jesus. Reason enough, I'm jumping out the boat. And he swam to Jesus. The right time was now. There was uh, Jesus was preaching, and there were so many people swarming, and, and the house was full, and the people outside, and, and four guys came carrying a lame guy on a, on a stretcher. And they wanted to get him to Jesus, but they couldn't because of the press of the crowds. But that didn't stop them. They said, no, we got to get it to him now. They climbed up on the roof, brought the man up on the roof, tore a hole in the roof. They don't even know whose roof this is. Tore a hole in this man's roof and let him down with some ropes right in front of Jesus. Said, that's my boys right there. They'll tear a hole in a man's roof to get a man to me. To get to me. What about the woman with the issue of blood? Now, she ain't supposed to be out in public. She's unclean. She's been, had this issue where she's been bleeding for 12 years, and she's been laid up on the porch waiting for some doctor to heal her, and she ain't did nothing but get worse after 12 years. Some of you have been dealing with health issues for years and years, and you keep looking to the doctors. And there's nothing wrong with doctors. God gives us doctors. Do everything that you can in the natural. But Jesus is saying, do you want to be healed? She don't care what people think. Ain't you tired of being hindered by the fear of man and what somebody else is thinking about you? She said, I'm going to make my way to Jesus. She crawled, she scratched, she moved. She said, but if I could just touch the hem of his garment and she grabbed hold and Jesus said, who touched me? Because I felt virtue leave out of me. Because when you reach out for Jesus, the power's coming. The power is going to be unleashed. Jesus didn't even have to turn around and see it happening. It just happens when you reach out for the power of life. That if you would just turn to me, that you might have life. And she was hungry. He said, that's my girl. No, little Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus hadn't lived this, this 
cookie-crutter Christian life. Now, he was a tax collector. He was living in the big house. He'd been stealing from folks. He had everything that this world thinks that we need. He had, a, he had the money. He had a bunch of friends his money had bought. He had all the stuff. He had the power. People were afraid because he would take their money. We little Zacchaeus was a short man in stature. He was a short man in character. And he was tired of being short. He was tired of this short life he had chosen for himself. He was like, there's got to be more. If this is all the world has to offer... This Jesus guy's coming through town, and I hear there's more to life. And I'm going to reach out for him. But he knew he couldn't see over the crowds. In his current condition, he couldn't see over the crowds, so he made his way up a sycamore tree and stood there standing in a tree. And when Jesus and all the crowds came walking by, who did Jesus see? Other people may have been mocking, what's this little guy doing on the tree? Weez little Zacchaeus. But Jesus is like, that's my boy. That's my boy. He's climbing up higher so he can get a better view of life. And I'm life. He's ready to come unto me that he might have life. And he says, Zacchaeus, let's go. Today we're going to your house. And it changed and it rocked Zacchaeus' world. And he went to Zacchaeus' house and, and Zacchaeus just having life in his house for the first time, says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give half my money to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give them back four times as much. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house today. He's reached out. And that's all Jesus wants us to do. God's trying to bring your vision higher for you to see above the crowds, for you to get a view of what life is. I don't know wherever you are with Jesus. Like I said, whether you don't know him at all and today is your first time at church or whether you've been serving him for 50, 60 years, we all, we can't lose that desire. We can't lose that fire. It's time to jump out of the boat again. It's time to, to, to rip off the roof. Don't let anything Become a ceiling to you, a, a, a barrier between you and Jesus. It's time to crutch, scratch and crawl our way back to Jesus. It's time to come up higher. Today, now, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. This relationship, what have you done for me lately? Isn't that a song? Okay, I'm glad you had a tight relationship back with Jesus in 1989. I'm glad that you used to go to church when you was little. And you used to love Jesus. But now is the time for a fresh surrender. Can I get an amen in the house? Why are we fasting and praying? Because we realize it's time to go higher. 
We realize it's time to put these appetites in our fleshly body down so that we can truly surrender to God, so that we can get in touch with, our, with the Holy Spirit that is within us, who is now fused with our spirits if we are indeed children of God. It's time to have faith again, to trust God. There was a little widow woman of Zarephath, and she was out gathering little sticks one day. And she was going to go home and make a fire. And the prophet Elijah come by and he says, Woman, would you get me a cup of water? And she could have had a snarky reply, but she said, Okay. And she turned to go. And he says, And woman, while you're gone, would you make me a little handful of bread to eat? And she turned. She looked at the prophet and she didn't maybe know he was a prophet. I don't know. But she looked at him. She says, Sir, I'm gathering these sticks. Because I'm going to go home and me and my son are going to build a fire and we have just enough oil and just enough flour to make us a cake. And we're going to eat that cake and then we're going to die. See, there was a famine in the land. And this was her last meal. There seems to be a famine in this land that we're living in. A famine of spiritual things. But Elijah asked, go and first make me a cake. And then your oil and your flour will never run out. What would you have said? You're crazy, man. I'm going to go on and die. Will you go on and slowly, day by day, spend your life by the pool? of Bethesda, and die a slow death? Or will you reach out with a little faith and say, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put this... this." Hebrews 11.6 says, it's impossible to please God without faith. That's That's what he asks of his children. That you believe that he is... And is he, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Or I think in the New Living Translation, it says sincerely seek him. Would you consider just coming to church on Sunday and that, then you'll think about God again next Sunday? Would you consider that diligent? Or would you consider that sincerely? I'm just asking. You know, God... He likens us to sheep. Thanks, God. What are sheep known for? Getting eaten by wolves and producing wool? What do sheep aspire to in life? They want to wool the world. (laughs) I had to throw that in there. It's time for a laugh, right? What do they call religious sheep? A Baptist. (laughs) You want more? I got more. No. We don't, we're just sheep. But it is Jesus that leads us beside that still water that Brother Bill preached on. 
<laughs> Our main pursuit in this life needs to be Jesus. If you got anything else as your main goal in life, your life is out of order. If it's your job, if it's if even if it's your spouse, if it's even if it's your family, your children. And that sounds harsh, but the reality is you can't do any of those other things well unless you have Jesus in your life. He is the love of God, and the love of God is the power of God in this world. We love Him because He first loved us. We love others because He first loved us. We want, we want to put our spouse first, Jesus somewhere way in the background, and we don't have the love to love our spouse the way we should, so that's a mess. There's one priority in this life. Pursue Jesus. And all the rest will, will balance itself out. Jesus asks two great things from us. The great commission, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we can't do that without his love. He's the center of that. And then he asked us, oh, that was the great commandment. And then the great commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. But who's going to do that if Jesus is not first in their life? Who's going to, I mean, we're so busy building our kingdom. Now, I'm not, you don't know about me, God. I got, I'm building a driveway or I'm doing this or, you know. Who's going to take time away from their schedule if Jesus is not first place in their life to go love someone else enough to help them come out of the darkness, to leave hell behind and be translated into the kingdom of God. Where do we get that kind of love? It's only in our pursuit of Jesus. We will never enter into the first phase of God's plan for your life until you begin to pursue Jesus. All that we have done up until then is wood, hay, and stubble. Everything that we accomplish apart from the love of God and the pursuit of Jesus in our life is not going to matter in heaven. It's only for the here and now, and we won't be able to take it with us when we go. In that scripture, Psalms 23, it says he leads us in paths of righteousness, right? For his name's sake. And I was thinking, what are the paths that he leads us in? And then I thought of our discipleship wheel, our new banner back there that we've been preaching on so much. If we'll make a path to God... If we'll know God, if we'll pursue Jesus like I'm talking about, He will walk with us and show us the path to find freedom. All the things that have held you bound, the mat that you're sleeping on, the lameness, the healing that you need, you will find freedom. He will lead you a path to freedom. And once you find that freedom, naturally your heart's going to cry out, what's next? And he's going to lead you right to the path to discover that there is a purpose for your life. And I'm telling you, life doesn't begin to get good until you understand that you're not here haphazardly. You're not some result of pond scum crawling out and becoming a 
a monkey that turned into a man. No. You were designed in your mother's womb with purpose by God Almighty. You're not an accident. And when you discover that purpose, Jesus is going to take you by the hand and say, come on with me down this path to make a difference in this world. Then you begin to make a difference with your love, His love in you. And then, as you make a difference in other people's lives, you're going to hold hands with them and with Jesus, and you're going to say, come on, let's go to God. And then you're going to help other people around that discipleship wheel. And there's going to be a well-worn path of fruitfulness in the life of a believer who will hold hands with Jesus and pursue Him and walk, walk this life out with Him. And He will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. For you have been faithful with what I ask you to do. Hallelujah. Wouldn't it be silly to sell your car, to sign the title over to somebody else, give them the keys, but still insist that you're going to get to drive it? Doesn't work like that, does it? See, we, that's what we do as Christians. We sign the title of our lives over to Jesus when we say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. But Lord means He drives. That means you're not the pilot. You're the co-pilot now. And Jesus, you say, Jesus, take the wheel like that country song. You don't, you signed it over. You don't get to drive anymore. <laughs> Another thing, a silly thing I was thinking about is, you ever ate overdone popcorn? Microwave? I mean, all you got to do is leave it in there about seven seconds too long, you know? And you get a smell, and you open it up, and foof, you know, and it's it's gets chewy, and it's got that flavor to it, and it just isn't good. Just seven seconds too long. And one time, I was putting the popcorn in there. I was going for two minutes, 30 seconds, and I must have hit 23 minutes or something. <laughs> and I went away, and I was in another room, and I started to smell something. And I came back and the whole house was full of smoke. This terrible odor. And you opened the doors and the windows and you couldn't get it all out. And the popcorn, the bag was burned. The popcorn was black. There was no way to eat it. And if, oh, you know what I'm talking about. Overdone. How's your life smelling in God's nostrils? You about done? You cooked long enough? You said, I had to make something of myself. About done? It ain't going to happen. He made you, and He's the one who will make something of your life. Are you about ready to give yourself over to the person that you always knew that you were supposed to be in from the beginning of the movie? Why are you fighting it? Everybody knows you. The, the best you is you in Christ. 
Everybody, you, you know it. God is stirring the waters, all right. Stirring the waters of your heart. That you may be healed. And he says in Proverbs 23, 26, Oh, my son, or maybe, oh, my daughter, give me your heart. Give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in following my way because you're never alone. So why live like you are? So why live like I'm not here? I'm not available. I'm not for you. I don't love you. It says, if I be lifted up, man, it'll draw all people. When, when we see Jesus on the cross, high and lifted up, paying the penalty for our sins, greater love is no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. When we see that, we pretend we're alone. Oh, get the pride and the foolishness of your youth and all those things out of the way. And when Jesus comes and says, do you want to be healed? He says, yep, Lord. And you can take up your mat and you can throw that thing in the garbage. You ain't going to need it anymore. You're on a journey. You're on a path now. A path that's going to make a difference in this world. Do like this right here. You remember that last week? You feel that pulse? You didn't put that there. You may think you can, but there ain't nothing you can do to make it beat again. God decides that. He's making it beat. He's the power inside you right now. Causing those electrical pulses. Cause this heart that we don't even know how to beat. It's not an ever-ready battery in there. It's... The power of God giving you another day, another opportunity to say, yes, Lord. Would you bow your heads with me one moment? Isn't God good? You are never alone. He has loved you with an everlasting love, an unending love. He has offered you mercy if you would receive it. He wants to pour out His grace if you would use it. He, he wants to make your life something special. You about done? for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.